This episode is, uh, it's really special because I'm talking about a guy who moved to a city where he had no relationships. He had very little resources, but he had a dream about a city. And, you know, so many people have heard of Redding, California. This guy not only heard about it, he dreamed about it. He moved here and he started creating uh, real estate development in a way where people looked at him like he was um, kind of naive. And he even got sued and probably proved him wrong, but he stuck with it. His story is so inspirational, but I think what a lot of people are going to get out of this is what happens when you dream and you act and you make a decision to make something happen. You're going to hit some obstacles. Uh, It's going to go in multiple ways that you didn't imagine. Uh, But on the other side of it, you're going to gain something so much more valuable than money. You're going to gain wisdom and experience. And, And this guy's really done it. So Joshua Johnson is this is a great episode and I hope you guys like it. Please make sure to like, subscribe and comment. Enjoy this episode. This is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and download and leave us a comment. Today, I'm really excited to hang out with my friend Joshua Johnson. Thanks for coming, man. Hey, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you being here. Yeah. How long have we known each other now? I think I met you, what, eight years ago? Yeah, exactly. Was it exactly eight years ago? Yep, we moved here eight years ago. Wow, man. Well, I've been wanting to get you on here for a while. You're a very interesting guy. You know, you, you came here eight years ago, and within eight years, You've really, from my perspective, being a mortgage lender, and you have you've done a lot to add value to our community. Mm, thank you. And that's what I think people see when they hear about you is someone who, you know, there's people out there that are developers and they're doing real estate because they're trying to make money, which there's nothing wrong with that. That you got to make money, but then there's people like you, where you can tell that you're actually trying to improve this community and you believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of our first conversations when we hung out, you told me the story about moving here and what you saw here and the potential you saw here. Mm -hmm. And eight years ago wasn't that long ago, but man, so much has changed in eight years. Absolutely. Man, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your background, you know, because you're you're doing real estate development. Mm -hmm. um, You help builders. You Mm -hmm. consult. Lots, even as recent as yesterday, a friend of mine was telling me that you were helping her out with some farm stuff in Indiana. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about your background and, and, and how you got into development and what brought you to Reading. Well, it's a, it's an odd story. My, my background uh, out of college, got a degree in government and business and, uh, out at, when I graduated, decided to start a software company. So I did mm-hmm. that for about, uh, 12, 13 years where was this? Uh, this most of that career was done in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so we we moved to Reading from Cincinnati. I'm originally California boy, uh, but um, spent some time in the Midwest there and had a great life there. Um, actually, my entry into real estate happened in Cincinnati. The way I got my first home was I partnered with my father in law who had cash and I had time, mm-hmm. and we went in on a foreclosure during the 08 crash. Okay. And uh, I did the sweat equity, played GC, 
uh, did all the remodel. And then I ended up buying that house off of my father-in-law and my profit was my equity in the home. Nice. And uh, ended up selling that home for a really great profit that helped us when we moved out here and to invest in our first project, uh, first land development project. Um, but really um, what happened in between that as I was building my software company, um, there was probably over a period of time, a little bit of this, man, I, I love building digital things and, and being in this tech space, but there's so much, uh, there's, there are somebody in this world is deciding how our cities feel and how they look and how we live in them. And who is that? Is mm -hmm. that the government? Is that some random guy, an investor somewhere just deciding this? What is this? And I found out about this, this role of a developer and, and how they um, kind of imagine space. And I lived a stone's throw away from this little community, uh, suburban town of like 3,000 people outside of uh, Cincinnati okay. called Marymont. And it was a master plan community by um, by a guy who was inspired by the Garden City movement, which if you look up the book, as Ebenezer Howard wrote this book on this in, in England about how cities, um, how kind of the ideal city would be designed and planned. Uh, it inspired Walt Disney to, to build Epcot. And before Epcot, it was going to be in t uh, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow before wow. it was the theme park. Disney's dream was to build a garden city, essentially this prototype city that people would come to learn about and go and reproduce in other places of the world. That was his big dream before he passed away. Um, so this guy built one of those little micro urban communities um, outside of Cincinnati, uh, was kind of the master planner, planner behind it. He didn't own it. He was the consultant on it. And it really gave me this um, – this kind of like inspiration for this, this role. And, um, but I would say I never even thought about it though, until I had this, um, to be honest, a dream. Uh, and in that dream, it was just a, it, I have a lot of dreams. We all have a lot of dreams. They don't make sense. Yep. Most of our dreams are, are wild. You're like riding a unicorn in the middle of, of space or you're falling and you don't want, you want to wake up as quickly as possible. Yep. This dream was one of those dreams where I woke up, I remembered every detail. It was very fascinating. And in, in, in it, I was with a bunch of people and we were building a city together. Wow. We built this beautiful city. I woke up, I was so inspired. I was like, how do we build cities? How, who does that? Um, and I think it just took me on this. That was in 2014. It just took me on this journey that I'm on now, which is how do I play a part in making my city better wherever I am? And... Um, looking at land and imagining what can be possible, but then doing that with the fundamentals of real estate and how it all works. Cause we can live pie in the sky in this blue sky yeah. world. It's like, Oh, everything's possible. And that's not true. Like we live with obstacles and yeah. that's where the creative opportunity comes is, is when we see an obstacle and actually how to work within it. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, you know, our, in our software company, we talk about, you know, so many people talk about how to think outside the box, but actually it's about how to explore all that the box has available yep. to you. All the walls actually create opportunity in some cases. It's not, um, it's not confining. And sometimes the, you know, it's like, uh, you put a, the, the study that had the children uh, in the playground without a fence, they felt less safe, less yeah. secure. They didn't have as much imagination and yep. play. Um, whereas you put a fence around it, all of a sudden they're exploring all that that playground has yep. to offer because they know the boundaries. And I think sometimes development just creates that there are more boundaries in California than in Missouri <laughs> or in Ohio or yep. these places, but, um, which makes it more difficult, more challenging, but it's not impossible.
And, um, and I think that's what I've been exploring here in Reading is so transitioning from real estate to, or from uh, software to real estate was really kind of the big jump uh, for me. And I remember I had a mentor of mine back in Cincinnati because I was having, you know, this, you know, semi imposter syndrome and I go, how, how, who am I? to think I can go from software to something so big as mm -hmm. land and development and building construction and all this stuff. And, and, um, he was a pretty high up executive one time at Procter and Gamble. And he looked at me, he goes, I don't know if I've ever met a developer that was born that way. Yeah. <laughs> and That's I think funny. it just so opened, true. opened my mind yep. and my eyes to realize that, you, that they've always come from something else. Yep. And, um, and that was really, really helpful in that yep. moment. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. I had a reminder this morning of that very thought. You know, we do these through Braveco, we do these shooting schools. And one of the things that we tell people who have never shot long range rifles before is what makes you think you're going to be good at this your first time doing it? Hmm. You know, because as men, I think we show up and we have this competitive thing in us sure. where we think we need to be able to do well at anything. Yeah. And I was golfing this morning and I had to remind myself, I was like, what makes me think I'm golf will humble. Great yeah, man. And I don't do it very often. <laughs> I just like hanging out with my friends, but you know, one of the, I love what you said about the box equaling opportunities, obstacles equal opportunities. I've really been thinking through that this year, obviously, you know, the mortgage industry right now is because of the, the fiscal policies and, tightening financial world, we are seeing a lot of those obstacles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in California specifically, the how to do real estate and invest in real estate, it's hard. Right. And there's so many obstacles, whether it's the cost to build, regulation, the time it takes to get through mm -hmm. processes that take an hour in most states. Mm -hmm. You know, you know that Over way the more. county permits you, versus You know that way more than months. I know. But, but this last year, like I've been really seeing people that are taking advantage of these obstacles and they're looking at these regulations that are coming down that most people look at and say, man, that's going to make things harder. And they're like, no, there's an angle there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a way to actually take advantage of that. And yeah, it's, it's super interesting to, you know, like for example, like AB, what is it? A, uh, SB9 and AB211. These are some of the I've mm -hmm. been learning about. Yep. And, you know, you go down to Sacramento and you, even here in Reading a little bit, but you go down to some bigger markets and you see these, these townhomes and you see these mass developments downtown in these areas that were once, you know, pretty rough and they're new and right. vibrant. You're like, who on earth is doing this and why? How yeah. does that make sense? And so, so it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing for people to kind of look at the angles and yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, so you had these dreams and visions, um, you know, your, your friend told you, I don't know any developers that, you know, were ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously visions take financing. Mm -hmm. And so help me. One of the things we talk a lot about here is, you know, people's relationship with money. Yeah. Um, in the mortgage industry, 22 years now, I've seen it run to extremes, yeah. you know, and now I coach. And so I see a lot of people who have weird belief systems around money that really end up either, you know, it's affecting their life one way or the other. Yeah. And, you know, some people will say, I don't have enough. And they have yeah. a belief system that they have, there's not enough there. Now, I don't know you super well, but what I do know of you is you have learned how to be resourceful mm -hmm. and kind of like some of the projects you've done, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. 
but like you've raised capital mm -hmm. and you've found a way to make it happen, even if you didn't have yeah. your own capital to do it. So I'd love to mm -hmm. talk about that because I think the economy we're heading into right now, it's really important that people start to become resourceful and realize that there is opportunity. They just have to stop thinking the way they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No, t totally. And I think that the starting point is, is the, the vision that I had and what I wanted to do was bigger than what I was able to resource myself. Mm -hmm. um, I had some resources. You definitely, um, you know, whether you're doing a tech startup or you're um, building, um, you know, subdivision or doing, you know, um, multifamily development or whatever it is that your plans are, um, having skin in the game is important making sure your investors feel like you're invested with them when you get paid, when they right. get paid and oftentimes they get paid first yep. <laughs> and that's how it should be. And especially with me, um, it was my, you know, on my first, you know, project, um, you know, I took a lot lesser percentage share of the project, had to structure the deal in such a way to get in the game. And that was really important. A lot more sweat equity, a, types of structure that I wouldn't do going forward, mm -hmm. but was necessary. And I don't regret it at all. It was, it was the way it needed to be done because mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of uh, history. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, a, a slew of projects. You to had to prove to. yourself. You had to prove yourself and, yeah. and more so to eliminate risk off the table. Right. Yep. It's just, it's another way of building credit. Yep. Um, and, and not everything happens, you know, it goes as planned, not your performance or crap. Um, <laughs> You you can timelines. do your best timelines performance everything you have so many things that could happen. I had you know have one project that has done the opposite of my plan, and I had another project that went and that exceeded my plan. Um, I've been a part of projects that go that are kind of pretty close to plan, and you know as I step into them now, I have a lot more sobriety, and that that's just kind of how it goes. Mm -hmm. And no, each project it was it was led by the same uh process um you know we we went through the the same kinds of steps but different things happen different times in the market all of these things and and i think that's why um you know having your eggs in just one basket not have you know it was so so critical for my family that i had mm -hmm. uh, cash flowing businesses as i was stepping into development um development it, you know for me is a it, one is a probably a life um, calling, I feel like, um, and for me, that's not always related to, um, my day-to-day -day income. Mm -hmm. The way that I've been able to provide for my family is sometimes different than the things that I want, the way I want to make my mark on the earth. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes they coincide and they have in development as well, but I, but it's not one of those things where you get a, a consistent paycheck. Right. Um, so getting my real estate license was important. Yep. Becoming a contractor was, was helpful being, being able to start to do multiple things that all are within the vein or what you call vertically integrated. Yep things that would benefit my future developments has been my path, like a 10 year pathway of just building the skills and refining, but, um, staying, uh, um, staying kind of optimistic, keeping my eyes open to opportunities is probably a better way of saying it. And, um, while also putting in the work to getting better at things that I didn't have the education or training in the past. So mm -hmm. I've kind of had to do that with my own, um, time and that's i mean man the things that i'm reading and 
and uh, studying up on, you know, and my nights and weekends is probably very different than a lot of other people, but it's because I, I love this. I want to yeah. be better at it. And yeah. want to keep learning. How much, uh, t- tell me about some of the failures along the way. Cause you know, if you're anything like me, if I had to go back and start over again, I, I I'm so grateful for my journey, but man, it, I'm so glad I did not know what was ahead because there, there's, it's hard, man. You know, this entrepreneur Ooh. world and oh, r- man. hiring people and there's so much risk, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's no wonder that 98% of society would rather just punch a clock and take a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Like I don't blame them. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear, you know, about some of the failures and the, the places where you're like, oh no, like this is going to ruin me. Yeah. Well, I think that the, uh, I would say one of the things that became that I wasn't prepared for, and I call it a, a failure of naivety and just, um, which oftentimes um, uh, it's, it's, we want our dreamers of the world to be somewhat naive or they probably, if they're fully aware of the, <laughs> you have to be the pain that would be coming, yes. they probably wouldn't step into it. It's a gift. So, um, so I think that I was grateful that I had mentors that uh, helped give me some wisdom without trying to tell me all the pain that I could yep. potentially um, endure. Uh, because, you know, I wasn't prepared for, as you step into bigger risks, you're at, you, you are exposing yourself to uh, more pain and more potential, um, you know, uh, I would say just more exposure in general. So I yeah. think the first thing that really hit me so hard was a lawsuit that, um, I was not expecting. Um, I've been in business for, for a very long time and avoided, um, you know, been through, you know, when you're doing service companies, there's going to be disputes every so often. You have to work things out. You might have to, you know, um, you know, if you're providing a service, refund something or do something over a 13 year period and how many projects we've done. I was able to avoid um, any type of action mm-hmm. um, because of relationship and yep. you work things out and you figure it out and you come to the table and and you and you're as reasonable as you can to to do that. Um, well, I couldn't do that in this particular situation and had to go through a three year delay and pause to um, to deal with an action that was. Uh, was uh, blindsiding to me. Hmm. And I didn't have a contingency plan for it. Never had been through something like that, especially related to property in the state of California, which is probably actually where most of our litigation comes from. (laughs) So I remember people saying, you know, California is really litigious. I was like, yeah, I don't, okay. You know, I didn't know what that meant. No, you do. But I felt it. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when I look back now, as much as um, as that hurt, I can I can um, honestly say that I'm I'm grateful to have learned mm. what I learned in that. Um, and I remember having a friend. Um, you know, pro- this is probably a theme. I've I've been grateful for a lot of friends that yeah. have been able to speak into my life very mm. very poignantly and 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 times of need. But I had a friend, I sat across and I was like, I'm a terrible developer. I must be a terrible businessman. I can't believe I got myself in this. I've put my investors at risk. I've done this and this and this. And I was very frustrated and, and, um, just kind of beat myself up. And he looked at me and he goes, well, he's, he says, I, I said, have you ever been in a lawsuit? He goes, I've been in eight, mm. eight loss. What? Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah. And one almost killed me. I was like, oh, geez. So it just, it just made me realize like, and this is a guy that had taken tons of risk 
yep. and had built great businesses and had a great reputation, but things happen. They do. Things happen. And yep. I, and I think that it just gave me, I let myself off the hook a little bit to say, you need to get through this, but, and you need to do this well, but, but don't beat yourself up. This is a failure you can walk through and you can, you can come out at the other side and, and this too shall pass. Yep. So I think that's what I did. And it took longer than I wanted, but we got through it. Three years. What were the things that you did during that season? Cause I, I've been in one. In fact, I've been in many of those seasons where I've been sued. Um, but where, you know, maximum stress, tons mm -hmm. of uncertainty, a lot of loss of, sleep. um, yeah. You know, the feeling like you're alone and you're, you're going to fail miserably. Everyone's going to know and you're going to look like a fool. Yeah. And nobody can, even though you have all the friends around you, you're just like, you still feel like, man, I'm in the ring fighting a guy that's twice as big as me yeah. and there's no one else in this ring with me. And man, I hate being in those places, but I would love for you to, what were the things that you did when you were in that lawsuit that helped you hold on to hope and keep moving forward and stay optimistic and, and have some, you know, just have some life. Yeah. One of, one of them that I can think of right away, I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, probably the peak of my stress, the peak, the absolute peak. I was spending so much time dealing with this situation that I had pulled back from my software company, which was still uh, the primary breadwinner for our family mm -hmm. financially, but I pulled back. So less income, all of a sudden the project was at a stalemate. Yeah. And I remember having this idea, a pivot, this, this, this idea of, um, of my way through this was, um, was going to look different than I had imagined. And so that's when I actually had the idea to get my real estate license is that instead of walking away or running away, doubling down. Mm. So when I was feeling like the least qualified or the least, at, um, you know, um, I would say, you know, able to push through, um, you know, I've, I, I felt a strong urge to, um, to go harder at the thing that was causing pain, which I kind of lumped all real estate into that at yeah. that time. Cause it yeah. was the, the genesis of it. But, uh, I'm so grateful that I did because in that process, it just got me thinking differently, got me seeing other things. And that's when during that, that I bought a piece of land with a friend um, across the street from Woody's, which is a restaurant in downtown Reading on, on Oregon street. And I bought a little piece of land for $70,000. And that um, is, there's a, a, a number of things that happened, but I'll, I'll jump to an interesting point in that that was related to my pain is that after I had developed it, um, that little piece of property and mapped it from ground up while I was in this delay. Um, it allowed me when I went to sell it, mm -hmm. it gave me the cash that I needed to pay the debt on the land, which then I converted to me getting a lot in the subdivision and building mm -hmm. the first house in the subdivision, wow. which tipped it forward. And that was, when I look at that story, I go, man, I could not have written that. No could not have written that. And I'm so grateful for the little steps, but I don't think I would have had the, the ability to even see that property if I hadn't gone through that, 
sleepless night mm -hmm. with that idea to double down. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, that pain is, I mean, gosh, we don't ever want to tell people that that's something they have to do. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think that one of the benefits of that pain is the, you know, it pushes us to think differently. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'm assuming when you were losing sleep at night, you're talking about fear, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And the problem with fear is, you know, one of the things you said is you stopped being engaged with your tech company where you were making money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, when I'm in fear, I'm seeing the problem bigger than it is. And I can't see things clearly. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've been, I've had a situation recently that I've been going through where I had a bunch of fear and it was a, it was very similar. It was a plan that did not work out the way I thought. Mm -hmm. And about two weeks ago, I had this elk hunt planned with some really good friends. We do it every year for like 15 years. And um, it felt very irresponsible to go. Mm. And in the end, I was talking to my wife, you know, we've lost some friends. It's just been a lot this last month. And she looked at me and she said, you need to go on this trip and you need to stay as long as you can. And it's a place where I would not have cell reception mm. and I'd be in the middle of the woods for like six days. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I felt like that was kind of, you know, Im important directives. And I listened to her and I went the first two days I was maximum anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> and the third day I got the flu. Yeah. And I had to lay in this Montana canvas tent with a heater going because it was super cold oh up there, God. shivering in my bed. I finally woke up the next day and I felt clear and I felt good. And so I went out hunting and I sat in a tree stand for eight hours and then I did it for three more days. By the third day, I realized that I wasn't that important and that my problems were not that big. And by Monday, when I came in, I sat down with a bunch of people, made a bunch of calls, and and literally I, I saw a different way. Mm. And this is Friday, and that was Monday. And oh my gosh, man, it's just yeah. it was one. Of the, I told I've been telling everyone this story. For it's, it's counterintuitive sometimes to walk away from the problem, yeah, and to not go headlong into it, and to do something like get into the woods by yourself because yeah. there's a lot of people stressed out right now. I've had this conversation with three people this week who are super stressed. I have a friend that runs a big company, but you know, a bunch of people. I'm like, Hey man, how often are you on your phone right now? What's your sleep? Like, uh, I'm burned out. I'm burned out. I'll say, okay, when's the last time you got away by yourself with no distractions? I can't even imagine doing that right now. I said, well, that's probably what you should do. Hmm. And it was, it was such a good lesson for me, man, Absolutely. just to like yeah. to detox yep. and to regain perspective yep. so that I could come back and those, that creative part of my mind um, yeah. could could be open and, yeah. and you know, and, and see things clearly. So yeah, stepping, you know, anxiety only adds to the fog. There's, it's so, it's impossible to see through it. You it create is. problems that aren't even there. Yeah. Like you stopped yeah. working on your tech business. Yeah. So it's like, now you're not making income. So it's like, you actually yeah. create more problems, right? Yeah. Right. That's cool, man. So yeah. I want to wrap up, but there's two things I want to touch on because I think you have a very unique perspective. You're very creative in some of the things you're doing in real estate and you are a real estate agent, although you mostly work with developers and kind mm -hmm. of specialized clients. Um, people that are afraid to buy real estate or thinking they need to do it, whether it's to invest in non-owner or buy a place to live. Mm -hmm. And then Reading, I want to talk, I want to finish with Reading because- mm -hmm. Man, there's not a day that goes by goes by right now that I don't talk to someone that doesn't that lives somewhere else in the nation and they're hearing about what's happening here. Mm. Um, I, I want you to talk a little bit about your vision for Reading. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think uh, I've been helping a lot of clients uh, the way that, you know, I work with investors sometimes that are looking to buy property and um, there's opportunity for short-term rental, long-term rental um, development, ability to subdivide a lot or uh, maybe, you know, imagine a project that could come out of the ground there or map a project, they call it in the development world, the entitlement process. Yeah. Um, but we're always looking at it when we're, we're building it now, you know, coming through and having about seven, eight years experience doing this is kind of looking at multiple markets, multiple ways this project can succeed, multiple off ramps. I think it's really important. For instance, during 2020, all the rage was short term you know, rentals because, um, people were traveling a lot and there's high nightly rates and uh, people, you know, were wanting unique experiences and there was such a, uh, high demand for it that a lot of investors were buying these properties, um, in and around Reading and also Mount Shasta and other places. Um, I always like to look at a deal and say, well, what will this property become when that market maybe squeezes or mm -hmm. turns into something else like it is now Yep, where the nightly rates have gone down, where the uh, cash on cash returns are different. Yep. Um, will it, can it survive with a midterm rental? Can it, you know, does it look good still as a long-term rental? And uh, if it doesn't and you still like it, that's fine. Maybe you'll have to sell it. Maybe you'll have to, you know, just deal with lower cash flow or negative cash flow. Can you absorb that? You know, just looking into the future because yep. buying when when markets are are high and imagining them always to remain in, in that place is is fantasy. So um, I think it's OK to have have things for a short short term. And I'm sure that, you know, Redding's experienced a little bit of growth in, in that way. Our tourism, our, our TOT tax, our transit occupancy tax has gone up year over year, even as uh, we have a local nonprofit here as a, a large church that used to drive a lot of that TOT mm -hmm. is not as much of a factor as it once was. Yeah. Our TOT went up when that church didn't have any events for two years. Yep. Um, so... There is there's now a mix of, of tourism we're getting on the map with in magazines and L.A. Times and and people are starting to hear about us and Mount Shasta, uh, the ski resorts investing in their park and it's adding value there. And I think there's a lot of reasons that Reading will continue to be interesting in that market. But I think looking at, at buying these properties, can they work in the ebbs and the flows? of the ch the changing times because um they'll they'll always be there. Um I think my you know what I see for Reading is is where people will continue to invest and get creative and um not be afraid to pioneer things. It doesn't mean you have to do things that are irresponsible with your real estate. Mm -hmm. Um uh don't ignore fundamentals, but there's Always, there's usually more than one way and usually more than one way than what you've heard by other, you know, Instagram, you know, influencers yep. or different things. You have to look at it a microscopic way for your market. Um, when I think about the macro of, of things, just like you do, you're looking at the macro market of, you know, rates and and um, home prices and sales and the price drops here or there. But you Reading is is going to still have a microcosm of that, and and it's going to be responding differently. Yep. Um, what I see, what Reading, you know, really needs is it needs people to continue to imagine it the next iteration, and the way people are going to live, and the way that they um, 
you know, where the, that right now we're at a place where affordability is tough throughout the state of California yeah. and Redding is still competitive on the, on, at a macro level to, to that end. Yeah. But even in Redding, if, if we need to continue to think innovatively of how people do housing. And I think that, um, this is the reason why I'm so excited about some of the manufacturing of housing offsite um, is being done. The concrete um, uh, uh, printed houses and how that's being done right here out of Reading. There's some of this innovation. And I think that there's more to be done if the investors and developers uh, were to continue to think innovatively. We could be, uh, I think this city could be a great breeding ground for a template of things that can be done in other cities. And we have enough land to test things on. We can try things out and our costs are lower generally. Our land costs are lower. Mm -hmm. So I think there's opportunity for us to do that. I think one of the things that we need to readopt and reimagine, and I know that, um, for a lot of people that are used to a lot of acres, I know you have land. I, I love land, all these things. But the way that our kids and our kids' kids, many people who have, you know, you know, uh, middle class jobs, the way that they're going to step into home ownership, which is part of the American dream, is to think maybe a little smaller. Yeah, at least in the beginning. At least in the beginning. Yeah. And 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 stepping into, you know, two bed, two bath with an ADU in the back that can pay your mortgage. With a neighbor on the other side of the wall, possibly. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. And and I think that when I was younger, there was there is a lot more latitude for how much of my neighbor noise I was able to totally. Endure. <laughs> yeah. So And there was convenience, you yeah. know, being able to walk places. There's nothing wrong with doing high density. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of these younger people, first time buyers will make is going into it with the thought process they're going to buy their dream house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I agree with that. I think and also uh, we are missing in the market uh, the downsize the 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 retiree fixed income I'm downsizing house yep. I'm done I don't yep. need a 3000 square foot house in in our city in Gold Hills anymore. Yep. I I actually could could do with a, a two bed two bath with a first floor master and my grandkids can still come visit and I've got a cute yard and I can take care of it and I got plenty of space and then I'm going to be traveling and visiting family. Yep. And doing things with you know with a significant other and I think that's a uh, that's something we got to reimagine those kinds of spaces. Um, I would hope that Reading would not be uh, sprawly. I would hope that anything that's, you know, a 50 acre or more project would be a master plan community with a mix of sizes yeah. of houses and not just yeah. a homogenous. Everyone's got to make, you know, you know, $150,000 a year in order to buy that there could be a mix of housing. There could, you know, right now it doesn't, it doesn't pencil a lot to build multifamily, but what, May pencil is if you do single family parcels, you make them smaller, build a house plus an ADU, then you get two doors out of one. What if you did a house, a junior attached ADU on the backside of your garage and an ADU in the back? Mm -hmm. Now you have three units for one, one parcel in the state of California that's legal. Yep, it is. And it's a lot easier to do than it used to be. So, mm -hmm. well, Josh, man, thanks for making time with your busy schedule to be here. Um, you know, if anyone wants to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, they could uh, get me at Josh, J-O-S-H, at EmmausUSA.com, which is spelled E-M-M-A-U-S-A.com. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here, bud. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you. All right.